Welcome to the REI Foundation Podcast, where we cover all the steps and strategies to make your real estate dreams a reality. Now your hosts, Jason and Peely. So before we dive into the show, we wanted to say thank you so much to all the listeners out there. It's always great to have you dive in with us on all these great topics we were to have able to have three times a week. And if you want to hear more about us, go to urusiholdings.com. You can find everything about us from projects we're working on, more about our team members, how we break it up, and all the resources we offer. And if you want to invest, learn more about investing with us there. Also, make sure to check out our multifamily meetup if you're local here in New Jersey. We run the New Jersey Multifamily Investment Meetup, and it happens to be every second Tuesday of the month uh, here in North Central Jersey. So if you're in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, make sure to check it out. And lastly, if you want to learn more about investing in apartment buildings, go to multifamilyfoundation.com. All right, check out the show. Well, hello again, and welcome to another edition of the Real Estate Investing Foundation podcast. Happy to be here. Happy to have you today. Thank you so much for listening and checking us out three times a week. If you like what you hear, of course, go to iTunes, give us a five-star rating and review. It really helps our metrics. Super excited for today's podcast. We have Christopher Calandra on the show. Christopher, how are you? I am great. Thanks for having me on today. I've been so looking forward to this. Good. Well, hey, a little bit about Christopher. Christopher is the founder and principal of Elliott Wealth Management Services, LLC, which has offices in Connecticut and Florida. He's a certified financial planner with over 26 years of experience helping entrepreneurs, retirees, and families achieve their financial goals and objectives. He is dedicated to providing each client with the individual attention and tailored strategies to achieve their goals. And toward that end, Chris is committed to devoting as much time and effort possible with his clients to explain financial concepts, strategies, and investment alternatives in a way that is easily understood, allowing Chris's diverse client base to make informed financial decisions. He's also the host of the Simply Financial podcast and co-host of the Carnivore radio program, which can be heard throughout Hartford County on 88.1 FM and online at WESUFM.org. So he's also been investing in real estate for over 25 years. He brought his first investment property at 23, and his experience spans over new construction, uh, flipping, residential income properties, commercial properties, and creative financing. And his portfolio currently includes single-family homes, multifamily, commercial income-producing properties, and he's also proficient in investing, remodeling, maintenance, and reselling. Wow, that's great background. Excited to have you on the show today. What an intro. Boy, I sound impressive. There we go. You, well, yeah, that's it. So good. Well, we're going to put words, words into action here today. Hopefully, and I can look, back it up, Jason. Hey, I'm sure you will because I'm looking at our topic today and I'm super excited for this, right? So I want a little bit more about you, but just to give our, our listeners a little bit about what we're going to tackle, we're going to tackle the seven wealth building rules for real estate investors that every real estate investor should really hone into. But before we get to that, Tell us, you know, back when you're 23, right, you're deciding to get into real estate investment. What was that trigger? What was that move that you said you're going to get into investing? I would say it was accidental because I was entrepreneurial from a very early age. And I also had a desire to, to build wealth and to become wealthy. And so you just grow up, you know that you want to own real estate. So how this happened, Jason, is I rented right out of college but then I bought a condo, but I bought a two bedroom condo and I lived in one bedroom and then I rented out the second bedroom. But it was fantastic because who did I rent to? 
I rented to my buddies from college. I rented to my brother and we spent some great months together while he was there. Um, but then they paid rent for that second bedroom, but they were like my roommates. It wasn't a traditional arm's length rental agreements kind of thing. I was with my buddies, but they offset a lot of the rent. And that was my first foray into investing. And then when I got married, um, I, my wife and I lived there on our own. And then when we bought our first home for us to live in, I converted that into a pure rental property and rented out the condo. Amazing. Now, had your, had your family invested in properties before or was this something no. that you completely went in? You said, this is the direction I'm going to go into. It was completely direction I wanted to go into. My parents have never, even to this day, invested in uh, real estate other than their home. And I don't know where it had come from, uh, Jason. You know, I had read a lot, you know, uh, different books that you read about building wealth and motivational books, some of the classics. And it just kind of clicked to me that, hey, I could buy the condo, rent out the room, and it would be pretty good. But I didn't go to a real estate seminar or read a real estate book. And unfortunately, it was so long ago, I didn't look it up on the internet because the internet didn't exist. But <laughs> it worked out really great. And it did set the tone for much of what's happened over the last 25 years. Yeah. And you scaled, right? And so you're into all these different platforms, but you know, we, we have new construction, we have flipping. Is there, is there a space that you like to really focus on today? So today I as you said, I do have a couple of property types and I'm pretty flexible. I know you have some of your guests are focused on just apartment building uh, or just flipping or could be storage space. Uh, you know, I'm a little flexible. If, if there's a deal that I like, I'll go into it. But my preference today, I've gravitated to commercial real estate and commercial real estate that at least have enough size that I could get a professional um, property manager because my primary business, Elliott Wealth Management, has grown and prospered over these last couple of years. So, you know, when I was younger and my business was less, uh, less the size as it is now, I was more apt to be a landlord, you know, going to the site, working it. But I really don't have the time and quite frankly, the inclination to really be on site much. So I like to use property managers at this point. So I prefer commercial. I prefer a little larger and one of the criteria is going to be something that lends itself to having a property manager. Amazing. Amazing. I understand that trends. Now talk to Elliot wealth management. When did this come up to be a part of your life? At what point did you make that pivot? Yeah, it goes back to the earliest stages of my career in college. I knew I wanted to be a financial advisor, financial planner. And right after college, about the time I bought the first condo we talked about, um, I worked for a Wall Street firm and went into their training program. So I have been a financial planner my entire career. I've been a certified financial planner for going on 20 years. So this is all I've ever done in terms of my primary business. I'm an entrepreneur like lots of your listeners and probably like you too. So I've had my hands in different projects real estate wise and I've invested in some other small businesses along the way. But being a financial planner has always been central to my work and it's always been the major source of my wealth and the income that I bring into my household. Incredible, incredible. So what strengths do you find help from both parts here? Where does the financial planner sense help the, the real estate investment and where does the real estate investment side help the financial planner side? 
Yeah, that's a great question. There's, there's a couple of ways that I'll approach that. First off, my role as a financial planner is to help clients achieve their financial goals and to build wealth. And what I've learned, especially over my 26-year career, Jason, is that most people that have become rich or affluent, and I know, you know we, could, we could debate you know, what constitutes rich, but what I found is most people that are successful have at least a portion of their wealth in real estate beyond just their home. And so I've wanted to model my wealth building activity personally using that information. And so when I'm trying to help my clients win with money, I'm very open to discussing with them how they may be able to increase their wealth and achieve their goals by incorporating real estate into it. Now, look, as a financial planner, am I working with my clients, helping them find flips or find raw land that they could put in a condo construction project? No, not at all. But I think in the marketplace, some financial advisors view real estate investing as competition and they might shy away from it or poo-poo it, whereas I will embrace it. As you know, real estate investing, regardless of how you want to pursue it, it's not for everyone. I mean, it's, it's a good way to make money. It's a good way to build wealth, but it's not easy. You got to prepare. You got to put the time in. You're going to get knocked around probably at certain points. It's not all going to work out wonderfully well every single time. Um, but I think that's one of, one of the keys in how I am approaching my own wealth building. And I think that translates and clients sense that when I speak with them. And the other part is to your question is I'm very interested in money and finance and I've immersed myself in that. And so real estate and financial planning, when you're talking about traditional investments, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, 401ks, IRAs, college funds, you know, they all kind of come together and they all have their own nuances, their own jargon, the tax aspect of each of those might be different. Um, but I look at them all under the financial planning, investment planning umbrella. So it really makes sense that I talk with my clients about that when they are interested in pursuing real estate investing. Hmm. I answer that all right? Yeah, absolutely. No, cool. I absolutely appreciate that. Now, that's a great transition, right? So we are going to talk about these seven wealth building rules for real estate investors. So let's dive in here. Let's go through these and we can talk about really where you see also investors fall off the track. Um, and so for people listening out there, this is really going to give you some good guidelines. And some of these may be common sense, but they're not if you're not actually using them and putting them into action every day because some of these are just the points that really successful people hone in on. So please um, take us through these seven steps. Sure. So step one is classic established goals. So I think this pertains to specifically real estate as well as overall as you're trying to improve your financial situation and accumulate wealth. Establish goals, like is often cited, uh, you want to write them down. I also believe in goal setting that has you thinking short term, but also midterm as well as long term. I think sometimes people make a mistake at say, let's say 40 years old saying, you know, I want to have this amount of money at 65. That's a good goal. But if you don't have a short-term goal to kind of back that up, that 25-year time horizon could seem daunting. And it's one of the ways I think people get off track, Jason, 
hearkening back to what you said a moment ago, because you know, 25 years is a long way away. So if I have that 25 year goal, I also want to think about what can I do this year? What do I need to do this year for my goals? Write them down. That will help me on my pathway to the 25 year goal. So yeah, number one is establish goals. Yeah, that's great, right? Because lots of times, and it's maybe if even you're looking 25 years out, you think, you know, oh, I got 25 years to accomplish this, and you don't get off the couch and really get going. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, but if I had to pick one, and this may be contrary to conventional wisdom, I would pick the short term goal over the long term goal because if you successfully achieve a series of short term goals, you'll probably get to where you want to go in 25 years. Whereas if you only set the 25 year goal, like you said, life happens, crazy, busy, have setbacks, get distracted. You could get well into that 25 years and look around and be like, where'd the time go? So thinking short, mid and long term is important with establishing the goals. So that's number one. Number two is to be prepared. I am a big believer in preparation. You asked about some of my keys to success personally. Uh, I like to be prepared. I like to do my homework. I like to get educated. If I go into a business meeting, I want to be the most prepared person in that business meeting. Not because I want to take advantage of anyone, but being prepared leads to better outcomes, knowing what I want to accomplish, knowing what I don't know and I need to find out, have questions at hand, be prepared. I think real estate investing as great as it is, sometimes people fall prey to the get rich quick aspect of real estate investing. And for any of your listeners out there, and probably lots of your guests, Jason, have talked about this, it's not get rich quick, it's hard. And the way that you could make it a little easier is, is really to do your homework. Um, and that could be reading books, using the internet, listening to shows like uh, yours and mine and many other great resources out there. There's lots of seminars and workshops. I mean, there's all kinds of information out there. Another example is local real estate investing groups. But do your homework. Be prepared. That increases the chances you'll make good decisions and decreases the chances that you'll make mistakes. So step number two is be prepared. If you have a listener out there that's never invested in real estate, and it would be the same thing if it was a 401k or an IRA or a stock or wanted to invest in a local small business, is do your homework, be prepared, take your time, learn a lot about what you're doing. You're never going to know everything. And there is a lot to be said about learning by experience, but don't go in recklessly. The world will be cruel to you. That's my that's my advice. Good. And you touched on it too, right? You, you do need to, to put this to action, right? You can't get into analysis by paralysis, but you- Correct. You yeah. I mean, you don't need to get prepared to invest in your first property. You don't need 10 years, but I would also caution against you read one book and then you go in and make an offers the next day. I think that's too extreme in the other end of the spectrum. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Great. So step two is be prepared. Um, number three in the seven wealth building rules for real estate investors and is to develop a wealth building plan. And so this works for just the real estate realm, but it also works if you're talking about building up a 401k or building up a bank account for a down payment or to start a business. Um, I like Jason in developing a wealth building plan is to kind of figure out what the end game is. What are you trying to accomplish and then work backwards? When we specifically talk about real estate, you know, what do you want to buy? 
there's all kinds of ways to invest in real estate. There's a variety of strategies. And I know for myself, one of the things that I've learned where I got knocked around a little bit is I bought properties in kind of tougher, uh, lower economic areas. And it didn't work for me. And we could delve into why that is, but it just, it didn't work for me. Um, but for somebody else, that may be a really rich environment. It may work for them. So in developing a wealth building plan is figure out what you want to buy, how much you want to buy, and figure out how you're going to do this real estate enterprise to make money, right? Because you're not doing any of this real estate investing for just pure joy. It is to drive wealth building, right? You either want to make capital gains and buy something and sell it for more later or generate monthly positive cash flow or some combination of the two. And having a plan, just thinking about what you're trying to accomplish, I think is important. You do not have to have a 75-page dissertation on your business plan. It could be as something as simple as in your notes on your iPhone, or on a postcard, or on a piece of paper. But have an idea of what you're wanting to accomplish. I think that increases the chances that you're successful regardless of how you're trying to build a wealth. Small business, investing in stocks, investing in real estate, I think it transcends each of the different categories that are possible. Awesome. And I don't want to jump too far off base, but the properties that were in the rougher areas, what initially as a learning lesson for listeners drew you to it? <laughs> yeah. So I'm a finance geek, right? I'm a numbers guy. I'm not really handy, Jason. So you know, I might be there on demo day because I could break stuff, but I can't put stuff back together. So in looking and spreadsheeting how these properties looked in these areas, because the prices seem so attractive and the positive cash flow seems so fat, I was really attracted to them. But those environments, those tenants are more difficult to deal with. Um, the properties had tougher lives, so they needed a little bit more upkeep than I was accustomed to because if you have a property that's constantly be rented and you're talking about the lower end of the spectrum, you know, they've tended to get beat on more than say a luxury condo on the shore in Florida. They've had harder lives. And so when I spreadsheeted everything and I looked at how much I could make, I underestimated the money and time and the problems that I would encounter and all of that positive cash flow I thought I was going to get evaporated. And then I was ill-equipped for that, um, that ecosystem. It didn't play to my strengths. So I had a number of deals in those areas where I, I lost money. I, I sold the properties, um, tail between my legs. One in particular I'm thinking of, Jason, maybe I shouldn't say this on the show because I wanted to impress you and your listeners, but one property in particular, particular, I bought badly, I managed badly, and then I sold it and had to go to closing with a big fat check. And I was so thrilled just to get it out of my life. Mm -hmm. But it was a learning experience. And that's okay. If you play the game hard, like I do, and your listeners do, you know, sometimes it may not work out. And I think that's okay. I learned a lot from that um, experience, that project of buying properties in that particular area. Um, but I won't make that mistake again. Yeah. And I think, and I really appreciate that. Right. And, and although it, it's a downturn, but there's so many people that are going to benefit from that because they're in that position too, where maybe they're, they're analyzing properties and it looks so good on paper and this is going to help them just 
think about it. Okay, well, this may be in an area where, although it looks good on paper, am I putting in all of the extra time I'm going to spend on this property, all the extra problems that may come up if it's a C-class or D-class asset. That's sure, absolutely. On short-term rentals and everything else. So I, I appreciate you coming out with that because that, that just, it's so helpful for people to, to see that side. But then the rebound is a whole other part, right? And so, you know, if you were to say, well, I did it and that was it and I was done, I just forget it. Well, that would be, you know, a whole different podcast, but here you are today, you know, doing so many different things. So you take that, you learn from that, and you now go into different spaces, like we talked about a little bit before, dealing in the commercial space, where it can give you a lot of greater upside and have the right management in place. So Sure. And the, and the tenant makeup of an office building is different than if you're dealing with, say, Section 8 tenants. Not that, you know, I'm not saying negative things about that group of people, um, but it is a tougher group. It's more challenging. And when you're dealing in commercial and say in an office, one of the properties I own is an office building and you know, the dynamic with the business owners and the tenant relationship, not that that's not without challenges, but it is a different dynamic and that suits my strengths better than what I was doing before. Even though it's not perfect, it does play more to my strengths. Um, I have more in common with those tenants than I did with the other foray into the lower income, lower end of the marketplace properties. Yeah, it's great. And you found what didn't work for you and you pivoted. And now exactly. you found a space it did. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. so, so I was prepared and I did have a wealth building plan in yeah. that instance. In those couple of instances, it didn't work out so well. Um, but so, that's why you go back to the plan and you, that's and you right. develop the plan. So I love it. So now let's dive back here into number four. So number four is build a team. And I imagine over the course of your show, this has gotten touched on. Uh, wealth building is a team sport. Investing in real estate is a team sport. I already mentioned a moment ago that I'm not a handy guy. So when I'm doing real estate, when I'm figuring out how I could make a buck in real estate investing, I need a team that's going to help me with some of those things. Um, tradesmen, inspectors, real estate agents, construction guys. Uh, I'm going to need some help on that front. Also in building your network, building your team, a certified financial planner like I am and um, my team that helps me uh, with client relations. Um, I think it's a good part of someone's team. Also CPA, lenders, lawyers, um, the more allies that you could put together that can help you make smart decisions around your money, the better off you'll be. Granted, you have to pay these people. Um, but in most instances, if you have good allies and good professionals that know you and are competent in their field, um, the money that you make will be well worth paying these professionals to help you out. You need to be careful. I, you know, I'm very conscious of if I'm spending money on uh, a service like a CPA, I, I mean, I want to be cost conscious, um, but I also don't want to try and be everything all the time and do it all myself. There's simply not enough time and these things are too complex. You need friends, you need allies, you need teammates. So number four is build a team. You've yeah. I'm sure talked about this before 
previous Absolutely episodes. Absolutely agree, right? And we're, yeah. we, all, we all get guilty of doing the part of, you know, I'll do everything myself and I'll save myself some money when it actually costs you two, three, four, five times as much because your time is now spent on maybe a task that's not your highest and best use. So yeah, team building is absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll just add very well said, I'll just add, it also works towards your work-life balance, right? Because if you're trying to do everything and if I'm investing in real estate and I have my business and I'm trying to be a good landlord and I'm trying to find deals and then I'm doing my own taxes and then I'm trying to do legal zoom instead of going to an attorney to set up my next LLC. All of those things I can do and probably most of your listeners can do, but it's hard to do all of it and do all of it competently and still have a work life balance that resembles anything that would be considered healthy. And I want to have a healthy life too. I love that. I love that. Well, let's move on to track and progress because this is track your progress. I need to, I need to continue to improve on. So I'm looking. Yeah. And this, I think of the seven is probably the one that gets the least amount of attention. Um, And so I'm a big believer in Jason is um, track your net worth. Okay. Now there's technology you could use. There's a number of apps. Um, You could just do it on the piece of paper. I personally am a little old school. I do it on a spreadsheet but Jason, I have a spreadsheet. I list all my assets and I put in the value of what they're worth. I list my debts and I put in what they're worth. And then I figure out my net worth, which is simply by taking the sum of my assets and subtracting out my debts, my liabilities to come up with my net worth. Because all of what I do for clients and all of what we're talking about with real estate is we want to increase our wealth, be smart with money, win with money and increase our wealth. I think we could all agree. Money is not the end all to be all. Um, But in this realm, keeping track of your net worth is really important to see if what you're doing is working. Because if you have the column with the assets and the columns with the debts, and that's driving your net worth, there's really, Jason, only two levers you can pull. You could either increase your assets or decrease your net worth in an effort to drive your net worth higher. If you get to the point, which I will actually be at by the end of next year, I will be debt free. uh, Then there's only one lever you could pull, and that is to increase your assets. This is not an analysis of cash flow, which I know is very important in uh, real estate investing in most instances, but just tracking your net worth. And most real estate investors that I've met over my 25 year career are a personality hard driving, creative, entrepreneurial people. And the other aspect of tracking your progress is it's tremendously motivating. I find it very powerful when I sit down to to update my net worth statement to see how it compares to last quarter, to last year, to three years ago, because then it reaffirms that what I'm doing is working and it's worth the time and effort and I'm winning And that helps keep me on track at the top of the show. You said, you know, how do you fall off? Well, if I'm looking at my net worth and my net worth is consistently going up, I track my net worth statement every quarter, but I'm a big, big geek. I think you should do it at least once a year, twice a year for most people is probably okay. Um, I might be tempted to even do it monthly, but um, quarterly works for me. And it doesn't take that much time. It takes me 10 to 15 minutes. Um, just to update the spreadsheet. And I could go back years and years and see how my assets have changed, how my debts have changed. I've been in a cycle over the last couple of years, Jason, now at 48 years old, I've really focused on paying down debt 
I had acquired some practices within Elliott Wealth Management and took on some debt. And of course, I had debt on some of the properties I have. So my wife, Joelle, and I have been really focused on paying down debt. And by the end of next year, we'll have our portfolio properties that won't have any debt. The business won't have any debt. And my goal is to do that by the time I'm 50, which is October of 2020. And we're well on track to do that. So track your net worth statement. Uh, if people go to my website, which we'll talk about at the end, um, I have a template for a spreadsheet, simple spreadsheet um, to do the net worth statement. Right. Um, track your progress. Have a P&L. If you have a property, you should have a profit and loss statement for that property so you can see how that property is performing. Could be on a piece of paper. We use QuickBooks at my house and with my businesses. Um, you could have your accountants prepare that, but you should have a P&L. And Jason, if you have more than one property, you should have a P&L for each property that you could review as well as as a collection of the properties together as one team. And then lastly, an income statement. I think you should have a list. And again, again, just could be something that you write down and look at on a regular basis, like once every six months when you do your net worth statement, where are you getting income from? Oh, I work for XYZ Corporation, I get this much income. I have this rental property, I get this much cash flow. Um, I have this side hustle, I make this much. Know where your income is coming from and that'll help you figure out how you could deploy it and whether you're making good decisions with the money that you're bringing into your household. So track your progress, net worth statement, profit and loss statement, income statement. They may sound scary, but with just a little help from a CPA or a CFP uh, or do a re little research online, you could easily tackle it. It's not too bad. How does that sound? Sounds awesome. Sounds awesome. So number six is be diversified. Uh, I, in my plans to build wealth and to retire early is I want to be diversified. I don't want to do anything, Jason. I'm going to blow myself up. Now that's the, not the most um, technical term, mm -hmm. but I don't want to take on too much risk in any one endeavor that I'm going to wreck what I've done. And the way that you could help protect against blowing yourself up is to be diversified. In my own personal wealth building plan, I want to drive value by increasing the uh, value of the Elliott Wealth business practice. Um, I want to build up my investment portfolio, my IRAs, 401ks, college funds, bank accounts, mutual funds. Um, that's the second piece of the puzzle. And then the third piece is have a real estate portfolio. And I have that three-pronged approach. So that if something struggles in one element of that portfolio, my portfolio, I have other things that could pick up the slack and no single thing could really blow me up. And so I'm a big believer in being diversified and not doing anything that would really be such a setback that you'd have a hard time recovering. Now, let me say, Jason, for people that are younger that may not have a lot of resources, you know, they may need to take a little bit more risk. But at 48 now with wife and two kids and a couple of property and a business with employees. I mean, I want to take some risk, but again, I don't want to do anything to undo all of the hard work that I've put in over these last 10 and 20 years. So I want to be diversified.
Yeah, and I think that's a good point, right? Because these steps all align. Because if you think about it, okay, to be diversified, you have to be in a number of different spaces. So, you know, if I'm not proficient with stocks and bonds, well, well, I have to use my preparation, but I can only have so much preparation time. And that's going to be where I come into having my plan and having my team in place. My team in place is going to help me be prepared in each of those spaces. So these steps are all building up and lining up here to get to our, uh, our eventual step seven here. Yeah, step seven is be careful with debt. Um, I am not very um, religious when it comes to this topic. There are some people out there, take on one extreme, Dave Ramsey. I don't know if you're familiar with him, uh, but has one of the most successful podcasts out there. You know, he's no debt. Don't borrow money for anything. Um, I'm not in that camp. And then on the other side, uh, Robert Kiyosaki wrote the very influential book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and all the related books like Cashflow Quadrant and many others. You know, in reading him, I think he's a little too, in my opinion, um, free about debt. And I come someplace in the middle. I just think you need to be careful with debt. Um, bad debt, you know, consumer credit cards, having big car payments, that's not going to help you win with money. It's not going to help you build wealth. That's bad. And you should pay that off. Um, moms and dads and, and young individuals out there, be really careful about taking on student debt. That's bad. And there's way, way too much out there. But there are instances in debt. If you're buying a property and you're careful and you're discriminating, you know, having debt on properties is I think a healthy approach, having a mortgage on your home, um, maybe taking some debt if you have a small business like I did. Those are all good, but you do want to be very careful about your use of debt. And it ties in uh, to six because one of the ways that a lot of people swamp themselves and blow themselves up is they're over leveraged. They try and do too much too fast. And when something goes wrong, they don't have any flexibility. They don't have any reserves. If you're leveraged to the hilt, and you have a negative event happen, you run the risk of you know, having a huge setback. You go back to my story about that, that bad property that I closed at and had to show up with a big check at closing. You know, I was able to, to relieve myself of that property and that mistake and be thrilled about it mm -hmm. because it wasn't gonna blow me up. It was bad, it was a setback, but it was fine. Um, but if that was, if I had it all on the line, and maybe I don't sell the property and maybe I stay with that mistake too long and try and, and hammer through. And that would have been a bad, it would have been bad. So that's how that kind of relates. Um, debt's okay, but listeners, just be careful with debt and certainly don't over leverage yourself where you get too far out there and you have too much risk on the table. So those yeah, are the seven cool. steps. I love it. I love it too. And to the debt point, right? So you want to have good leverage that you can use to build your balance sheet, but you, you, you mentioned the word reserves and that's key, right? So as you build, you, you still have to have reserves, right? If you're just going to continue to take on debt and things are going to go wrong, you're going to have different tips in the market cycle. There's going to be so many things that are out of your control that are going to happen. If you're not reserved correctly, even if you're doing everything right to win, you're still going to be in trouble. Yes. If you, if you, if let's say you take a flipper out there and, you know, I, I flipped 10 houses. I loved flipping. I haven't done one in quite a while. But, you know, if you take every flip and you simply roll all of the profits in and you're, not, and you're not accumulating wealth anywhere and you don't have any money in, say, an emergency fund, we're big fans of having an emergency fund where you have money in the bank that you could grab if you need it in a pinch, the car breaks down, 
you have a property that underperforms, you, you need to help a family member, whatever. Um, you know, so if you just always take the profits from one flip, roll it into the other, and you're not accumulating wealth anywhere, and you don't have any reserves, well, you could have seven great flips in a row, but if the eighth one, you run into a problem, you could completely undo all that you accomplished in the first seven, and that's what I'm counseling against. That's a great point. Thank you so much for that. And for anybody who wants to hear more and, or even get the uh, net worth tracker, where's the best place to find that? Yeah, thank you. So you mentioned at the top, I have a podcast, Simply Financial. I'd love it if people would check it out and subscribe. And my website is uh, ElliotWealth.com. Elliot has two L's and two T's, ElliotWealth.com. Uh, at that page, you could get more information about me and the rest of the team here and how we help people win with money. On the main page, Jason, there's, um, there's a tab you could click on for real estate investors, and that'll take you to a landing page. I have a white paper there that talks more about the seven rules for real estate investing. It's a free report. Also at the site, um, clients could sign up for a complimentary consultation where I could talk with them about their goals and objectives, their wealth building plan, to see if me and my firm might be a good match for what they're trying to accomplish, um, not just in the real estate uh, investment world, but uh, especially in investing in stocks, bonds, 401ks, building retirement plans, emergency funds, uh, life insurance, things of that nature. So they could sign up for a complimentary consultation. Usually it takes a half hour. I'm not geographically um, oriented. So a lot of my clients are not in Connecticut and not in Florida. So I do a lot of remote work with clients in states all across the United States. So I'd love it if people checked out the site, got the free paper and signed up for a complimentary consultation. Oh, this has been incredible. Christopher, thank you very much. And I, I like that as a, as a tag right there, helping people win with money because that is a, a hugely important. So thank, thank you for giving us that right there. So Christopher Calandra, you can find him at ElliotWealth.com. Also check out his podcast, the Simply Financial Podcast. Christopher, thanks so much for coming on the show. It was an absolute pleasure. I said at the top, I was really looking forward to this and it was as good as I hoped for. Thanks very much. Good, good. Well, everyone listening, thank you to you. And this is Jason with the Real Estate Investing Foundation Podcast. Thank you for listening. Talk to you shortly. Bye now. Thanks for tuning into the REI Foundation Podcast. Check back next time for more awesome tips and strategies to launch your new you in real estate.